Hello, Hopeful. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible. Here, we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in His world. Welcome. Okay, so it's the next round of our honeymoon on the road kind of thing. And even though I'm recording this ahead of time, which is why you've got the good microphone instead of the bad one. But I just want to thank you for being faithful. And hey, if you're new around here and you want to hear how this normally goes, you can back up to some other one of the many episodes prior and find something that looks a little more normal. At the moment, we're just reading through books of the Bible while I am on the road and Right now, that's the book of Romans. Today, we pick up in chapter four that kind of kicks off asking the question, or we're asking the question, why is Paul concerned about the Jews' view of salvation? Romans four. What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Scripture says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works when he says, Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? It was not while he was circumcised, but when he was uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe, but are not circumcised, so that righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham, or to his descendants, that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise nullified because the law produces wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why the promise is by faith so that it may be according to grace, to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to the one who is of the law, but also to the one who is of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all, as it is written. 
I have made you the father of many nations. And it is written in the presence of the God in whom he believed, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what had been spoken when it said, So will your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. My friends, I'm going to pause right. I'm going to say that again. He, Abraham, was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. I think that's really useful for us to think about. Are we confident of what God has promised? Or are we confident that he's able to follow through and do it? All right, we're going to continue. Because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, the words, it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. All right. So what was that chewy stuff? Well, Paul, of course, is concerned about the Jews' view of salvation because they believed that there is one way of salvation for them and another for the Gentiles. And Paul's making this point that God's righteousness through Christ is the only way to be saved. Now, what do the Roman believers have as a result of this justification by faith in Christ? Continuing on in chapter 5. And remember that whenever we hear a word like, therefore, we should ask what it's there for. Seminary joke. But Paul has just been making an argument now. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, 
will we be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people, because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man Jesus Christ overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. If by the one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's obedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? <laughs> Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body, ruled by sin, might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. 
So, you too should consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Now pause, friends. I know that's a little chewy, but I just want to do a quickie 50,000 foot flyby summary. How are the Roman believers united to Christ? Well, of course, in his death and resurrection, right? The Roman believers are united to Christ in his death and resurrection, and we, in a sense, are under new management, right? Okay, continuing on. We're at verse 12 of chapter 6. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive, you know what, my friends, I'm going to pause. That's a weird little line. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. Um, I, I'm not one that tends to use the language of strongholds and, and that kind of thing. But notice the spiritual warfare context of what he's just talking about. And do not offer any part of it to sin, meaning when we sin, wittingly or unwittingly, we are giving weapons to the enemy. Huh? Continuing. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Pause. Uh, because I can't help myself. My friends, do you remember, just because it's one of my favorite little chunks of the whole Bible, Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about offering yourself as a living sacrifice. And then what does it go on to, to, what does Paul go on to say, as we'll hear in the next couple days of reading here? It goes on to then talk about, one, our spiritual gifts used in the context of, of the bride and body of Christ, right? You've got one gift, somebody else has another gift, together we make up a whole, the bride, and then, and then he be, beyond that, even extends to other, to other things, right? To even to loving our neighbor, and at the end of Romans twelve, talking about overcoming, don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. So, here we're back in chapter six. Here, listen to what we just read. But as those who are alive from the dead, that's all of us. If you are a Jesus follower, now that you're alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. So whose gifts are they? We think of it. Oh, you got the gift of evangelism and I got the gift of hospitality. No, it's God's spirit, God's mission, God's gifts. And you've got a slice of that. Offer it to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? 
Should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Well, no, absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But thank God that although you used to be slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things that you are now ashamed of? Well, the outcome of those things is death. But now, now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that gets us up through chapter 6. And um, my friends, I, I hope, would, would you send me a note? I would love your feedback on just the way that we're doing the reading here. It's not how we typically do it. Sometimes I'm, I'm I'm just being purposeful about stopping and explaining some things, partially because it's in Romans, and Romans is heady, chewy, weird, sometimes weird kind of stuff. But would you send me a note, hello at forthehope.com, or roger at forthehope.com, and just tell me what you think. What do you like? What would you like to see more of or less of? Anyway, over and out from, the, from another one of the honeymoon editions, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.